want to talk to you this morning about human identity. I've been reading a lot about it just in terms of the other series that we've been talking through, but this question of who I see myself as and, and how I imagine that you perceive me, those sorts of things we wrestle with from childhood on, right? How do people think of me? What is my identity? What's, what's most important about who I am? There's been a lot of talk in, in recent years, both in popular levels and secular levels, uh, about identity and authenticity. The, the popular language is to be your authentic self, be who you really are. And, and, and a lot of sociologists who've looked at this have said, you know, you can, you can trace some of this back to the last part of the 20th century. We went through post-World War II, moved into this sort of consumeristic age where I can, I can now buy everything that I need. It, for the most part, I, things are accessible, they're cheaper, and so there's less dependence on community and family and friends. I, there's more autonomy. And when there's autonomy, there tends to be more of this individualism. The, the researchers call it expressive individualism, the idea that I I am unique, I should take pride in that. I, I'm not identifying by the communities I'm a part of, I'm identifying by who I am. As one expert put it, your authentic self is who you are at your deepest core, and it's about being true to yourself through your thoughts, words, and actions. What underlies this is, is the idea that, that patterns from the past are broken, whether it's the way past generations did things, or the ways that religions have taught things, or political authorities have said things, all of it is, is broken in some way, and therefore I'm not going to try to fit any of those old ways of doing things. I'm going to be myself, express my own authentic individuality. As believers in Jesus Christ, as those who, who meditate on God's word, one of the things that should strike us about that is it's not an original notion. It's not some radical new way of thinking. I can go back thousands of years to the end of the book of Judges, and I can see that in Israel, everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. It, what was most important was that I be myself and do what I want to do. And, and yet, I think you'll agree with me that there is something to the the rapid pace and just the wholesale nature of, of change happening around us and sort of jettisoning sort of moral and ethnic boundaries that would have stood in just our lifetimes, in fact. If I must be true to my authentic self, then expressing my individuality, this is the culture speaking, will not be stifled by religion, by peer pressure, by community standards, by legislation. I, I need to be who I want to be. And therefore, how I identify myself is of supreme importance. And that's why I want to talk about this this morning, because this issue of identity has become so big. Now, it's tempting at this moment to sort of cheer that as a cultural criticism. Well, that's the way the world is. That's how they think about identity. But let me push some buttons that impinge on, on our identity, on your identity. What's the first impression you want to make when you meet a new colleague at work or a new neighbor, new classmate at school? Or what's the first impression you want to make when you meet that old classmate at a reunion that you haven't seen in, in many years? If you're, if you're hanging out at your first neighborhood gathering and you're meeting people for the first time, what are the first things you, you tell them about yourself? Robin and I did this just a few weeks ago. A wonderful neighbor invited us over Memorial Day weekend and, and we went through just sort of the getting to know people that we've, we've walked past, their, we've walked the dog past their house, but now we were getting to know them. And then it's sort of, how do you introduce yourself? I live in that house and 
lived in Virginia for about 20 years and uh, got five kids. Uh, I pastor a church here in Lorton. That's always the one that you sort of feel like has some impact on the conversation because that's the one where you kind of feel like they're thinking, ah, okay, no more questions. We, we, we don't really want to go real far down that road. But this identity stuff is big for all of us. What do people think of me? How am I identified? What if, what if I get the sense that people are thoroughly unimpressed by who I am or what I do? What about when I look in the mirror and I see more wrinkles and more age and more weight and less hair and fill in the gap with whatever you see when you look? Now, that's just, that's just normal day. Let, let life circumstances take a hit. And our thoughts about our identity can really end up in a tailspin at that moment. What happens if my identity is somehow altered, tragically, or changed in some way? My wife dies. Husband runs off with some younger woman. My, one of my kids says, I want nothing to do with you anymore. I start failing classes at school. I, I mess up at work and, and I jeopardize my job and my career. What if a friend betrays me and turns others against me? What if I, I get injured in some way? I can't get around anymore and everything about me has changed and I'm in pain. All of this, circumstances, the, the churning of our own hearts, societal expectations, all of that kicks in on how we think about identity. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to read the passage around which Eric mentioned in his testimony in the early part of Ephesians chapter 2. As believers in Jesus Christ, this passage speaks clearly, firmly to our identity in Christ. We, we often, when we go to Ephesians 2, we think of verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved, right? It's not of yourselves, gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. But I, want to, I actually want to look at the verses prior to that and what they say about our identity. And let's just look at verses 1 through 3, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 to start with. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which, you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I want to say three things about what this passage says about our identity. And here's the first one. A biblical view of our identity almost always starts with our past. Consistently, when Scripture speaks about who we are, it first talks about who we were. And it's not a pretty picture. There's no sugarcoating what we've got here because it, it, it's a description of the walking dead. You see that in verses 1 and 2. You're alive and you're walking, but you're walking in the death of sin. You, you are walking in disobedience to God and rebellion to Him. We were actively living in spiritual death, following, as it describes here, Satan and the ways of the world, willingly, with desire, following these things. No one was sort of dragging us along. Uh, there's a, a slavery piece to this I'll talk about in a second, but, but we are acting according to our nature at this moment in terms of following after doing whatever pleases our own desires. We were content to live in the darkness of our sin. And we walk this way according to our own desires, but at the same time slaves to our own desires and sin's power. 
even as we are walking willingly toward it, there is also the spiritual force at work that is just sort of enslaving us, the power of sin that keeps us captured under its sway. Our own lusts were like masters that directed our own steps. And so verse 2 says, we willingly followed the ways of Satan and the ways of the world. But you see, that's not all. Verse 3, by nature we were children of wrath. The description there is we were dead in sin, slaves to sin's power, and condemned by God's justice. Dead in sin, enslaved, and condemned. We stood in the courtroom of, of, of God's justice and his holy just, indisputable verdict was guilty as, as enemies of God. We turned from him. We were objects of his wrath and deserving of his punishment. It's not just here. When the New Testament speaks of our identity, it frequently does this. Colossians 1.21, you once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Colossians 3, these are the things you once walked in, impurity, evil desire, sexual immorality, idolatry. Romans 6.17, you once were slaves, you presented your flesh to do sin's bidding. 1 Corinthians 6, this is what some of you were, idolaters, immoral, greedy, swindlers, slanders, revilers. Over and over, when the New Testament speaks to us of who we are now in Christ, it takes us back. Just as we did in these testimonies, it takes us back to who we were. We need to see that. And we need to think on that because that's the reminder that I did nothing to earn or deserve God's favor. Where I am now, what my identity is today, has nothing to do with me somehow making myself acceptable or pleasing to God or figuring God out. It has everything to do with God's gracious work. Look at this in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The reason scripture takes us back in terms of identity to see our past is so that we can clearly recognize what God has done in our lives. So that it's, it's that much more evident to us that where I am now is because of the kind, gracious work of God. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, your identity has far more to do with God transforming you than with you discovering something about yourself. It has to do with God changing you, taking you where you were in rebellion against him. The, the world's view is that your identity is about discovering your true self. Your, your authentic self is in there and you just sort of, sort of have to find it in some way, discover it, and then express it. The Bible says your true self, my true self, was rebellious, was turned against God and desperately in need of his transformation. We start with the past to, to know who we were so that we are gripped by the amazing work of God's grace. Who I am today and what lies ahead are on account of the character of God. Verse 4 says he overflows with this abundance of mercy. That's the idea of rich in mercy. It's just, it's just being lavished on us. And when it speaks of his great love, the, the Greek word there for great is the word for much or many. So we're not talking categories here like good, better, best, good, great. So this is somewhere a step above good. It's, 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 it's saying the love of God cannot be quantified. 
It can't be measured. His love is so great. That, that, that's why Paul, if you read on Ephesians, you get to chapter 3, and Paul's praying for believers to at least begin to comprehend something about the magnitude of the love of God, the breadth, the height, the depth of the love of God, because he knows how great God's love is. And so because God's character is so rich in mercy and great in love, verse 5 then says, God extended in grace toward us his forgiveness. God in grace saved us. God in mercy and love transformed us. If you are in Christ this morning, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone, God mercifully acted to radically change your identity from dead to alive, from in bondage to free, from condemned to forgiven, and from living by the lusts of your own desires to seated in the heavenly places. Amen? Amen. That's what God has done. He has changed everything. My identity today is, is completely different because of his grace and kindness. So much of my struggle, and I, I, I think I I think you probably understand this. So much of my struggle as a believer stems from not pausing to meditate on these things, from getting caught up in the, the day and the circumstances and my identity as it is perceived here by others and what they think of me, and, and not meditating on the magnitude of what God has done through his son, through the death and resurrection of Christ, to completely transform me. We are so consumed with our, our identity here and how the world perceives us, that we don't stop enough to go, this is the single most amazing thing that has ever happened, that God has radically transformed me from death to life, from enslavery to freedom, from being condemned to being forgiven. I was guilty of defiling God's law, and God took the the wrath that he had toward my sin against him and poured it onto his son, Jesus Christ. I lived as if my own being was supreme and I should do what I want to do and please myself. And yet the one who formed me in my mother's womb, who breathed breath into my flesh, who sustains me and causes my heart to continue beating in this moment, who has made the creation around that we delight in, who I rebelled against and dishonored, he made me alive and raised me up through the resurrection of his son in spite of myself. We have redemption from the one who was crucified in our place. That is our identity. And it, it, it gets better because the, the view in this passage is God sees this as completed work, not as potential as something that we might may or may not get through. But he uses what we call in Greek what the... the, the Linguists will say is the aorist tense. This is completed action at a point in time. And so when he says in verse 5, you were made alive with Christ. Verse 6, you were raised with Christ. Verse 6, you were seated with him in the heavenly places. He's saying this is, this is now seen by God as complete. That we, we experience resurrection life today, now, in, in, in this moment as believers in Jesus Christ. We are experiencing resurrection life because we have been joined with Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. You, you heard the testimonies just a few minutes ago, and I could not say it better. 
than Doug and Jack and Eric and Kai shared with you so clearly from Scripture and from what God has done in their lives that that, that act of baptism is to picture that joining with Christ in death and resurrection. As God says in Ephesians 2, we have done. He has done in us. He has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. We, we don't experience the fullness of resurrection life. There's still more to come. The glories of heaven await us, but that's not just a promise with future benefit. We are alive in Christ today. Everything is new now. We are forgiven now. We are no longer held under Satan's domain. We are not in bondage to Satan to present our bodies to do evil. There's one more element, though, in this. It's so crucial, and it's verse 7. God does this. He completely transforms your identity from dead to alive, from bondage to free, from condemned to forgiven, so that, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We get our identity in Christ by first looking back and seeing our past, by then from that, understanding what it is that God has done in terms of transforming us radically and completely. And finally, we need to get the purpose in all of this. Why has God done this? Why has he, why has he shown his grace and kindness toward us? It is so that we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. The world's focus on human identity tends to boil down to what best serves me. What you think of me, how you, how you measure me in some way, what feels authentic to me, what, what impresses you most about me. God's purpose in transforming us in this way is to make us eternal testimonies of his grace, is to make us like, like fine pieces of art that he has made that just display his grace that when you look at them, that's what you see is God's kindness and mercy. The truth of the matter is we all give glory to something or someone. We all throughout our lives are giving credit. We're taking credit for accomplishments or, or knowledge or so-called good deeds. Occasionally we may give credit to someone or something else. A lot of times we're, we're blaming others, we're shifting blame. And that's just human nature. Romans 1 makes it very clear that every human being honors, worships, praises, and thanks someone or something. We give the credit to something. Romans 1 says it's either to the creator or to his creation. It's either to God or it's to someone or something that God has made. And Ephesians 2.7 says, you were transformed for the purpose of giving glory back to God, of being a, a testimony of his grace. There's a tendency by some to limit verse 7 when it says that in the coming ages to be this picture of his grace, to, to sort of limit that to eternity after Jesus comes. But when Paul wrote that, the, the idea that he had in mind is from this time forth, for all ages to come, for the years to come on earth here in the church and in heaven as the body of Christ, time and time again, generation after generation, those who are redeemed have the sweet privilege of testifying to the grace and kindness and mercy of God. He has transformed us. He has changed our identity for that purpose. One, one reason that we as believers give testimonies like we do at baptism and we tell people how we were lost in sin is because we, we understand the, the bleakness of our state apart from Christ. And we want people to know how we've been changed, what we were and who we are because we are 
all too aware when we read a passage like Ephesians 2, we should be all too aware of this is us. We were dead. We were lost. We were in captivity to our sins, following Satan and his desires. And Christ came into that darkness. And against the, the backdrop of our sin, Christ pours his grace on us so that now the light rightly shines where it should, and that is on the grace of God, that people see in us transformed people. F.F. F. Bruce said it this way, throughout time and in eternity, the church, this society of pardoned rebels, is designed by God to be the masterpiece of his goodness. Now that's who we are, brothers and sisters. We are those demonstrations of God's grace. This morning, if you are if you are not trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior, I, I just I want to appeal to you, just as my brothers did in the course of baptism. If this morning this is all sounding like something interesting, but but if I were to ask you what, what would happen if you died today and your answer was something along the lines of, I hope I'd be all right before God, I think I've done some good things, I, I think I'm okay with God, I'm not really sure, then I, I want to appeal to you on the basis of God's word today. To say that your sin has separated you from him. This picture in Ephesians 2, we, we don't proclaim as, as believers in Jesus Christ as a way of belittling others. We proclaim it because we see ourselves there. We identify with this, that this is who we were. And, and this is what I, I call you to see, is that your sin is separating you from God. And the Father has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to take your sin upon himself and to bear it on the cross and to experience the wrath of the Father. And in rising from the dead to give to you a hope and promise of resurrection from the dead, if you will trust in Jesus Christ, if you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, then see what you have. See the, see the pardon that you have. Think of the implications of this. Think about your identity in light of these things in Ephesians chapter, chapter 2. You have an identity that is established by God. The, the world is striving for an identity that somehow I find in, in myself and who I am and what I do and what I accomplish. Yours and my identity, brothers and sisters, is set by God. Psalm 22, when it, it looks forward to the coming of the Messiah, it ends at the end of that psalm and it speaks about the proclamation of the Savior's righteousness for generations. And it says, they shall proclaim that he has done it. Your identity is established by the Creator in his transforming you. And that means your identity is secure. Every other identity that you have in life is temporary. Every other identity that's not saying they're not important, they they are, but every one of them can go away just like that. Every one of them can be betrayed or changed just like that. Think about some of the, 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 the characters you think of in the Bible, some of the men you see. Joseph, handsome, leadership material, sold by his brothers for, for 20 pieces of silver, treated as worthless, cast into prison for an, an untrue accusation for more than two years, left. Job, leading man of the East, it says in Job chapter 1. Everybody looked to Job and said, this guy is remarkable. And then Job's world is turned upside down and everything's shaken. His, if, if, if his identity is in that, it, it's shaken and thrown out just like everything else in that moment. In a world where 
were just an accusation, even a false one, can torpedo your reputation and turn you into a laughingstock, your identity in Christ is secure for all of eternity. Your identity in Christ is also defined. I, I am a sinner. I can, I can look back. I don't have to look back far at all. I can look really close in the very near past, and I can see my failures as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. I can identify sin and failure there. That's why who I am in Christ must be the defining quality of my identity. In every other area of life, I am tempted to, to do things for the wrong reasons, to act for my own gain, to strive for your approval in some way. But there is one who is supreme, who is Lord, and all of my identities here on earth must be subordinate to that one, that I am in Christ. And so how I live, what I do, how I respond should demonstrate someone who is in Christ because my identity has been defined. It's also an identity that's equipping. I won't take long on this one, but if you go on in Ephesians chapter 2, he says that he, he saved us. We are God's workmanship, saved and created for good works that God had prepared beforehand for us. And so God has equipped us now as, as believers in Jesus Christ we are equipped by the indwelling of his spirit to serve, to, to love God and love neighbor in the way that God calls us to. And here's the last thing I'd say in terms of implications. This identity is unifying. So much of, of our focus these days, the world's focus on, a, on identity these days just seems to be dividing into smaller and smaller groups with sharper and sharper boundaries. The gospel of Jesus Christ is exclusive. Make no qualms about it. The gospel calls us to believe in Christ alone and that he is the one savior and that is the way to be made right before God. But Ephesians 2 goes on and it describes how in Christ, boundaries are broken down. In Christ, people are brought together who otherwise would not be together, who are joined together. The gospel unifies us across lines on which the world divides us, because what the gospel does is it brings us back to the, the humbling place of reminding us of our shared past and the fact that we all needed salvation through Jesus Christ and through his death and resurrection, and that's what joins us together. That's why verse 9 says that God does all of this of his grace so that no one can boast we can't divide anymore over I've, I've got something special or I'm different than you in some way because we have been brought together as a testimony of God's grace and we are all joined together as trophies of his mercy. Who am I? I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I know you're all hot. We need to root our identity back here in Ephesians chapter 2. In life, we can, we can suffer in many ways. Some of you have been through experiences of suffering and abuse and sorrow, and, and if, if your identity is wrapped up in, in the temporary things of this life, that identity can be robbed, marred, distorted in a heartbeat. We are a people, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, who were dead in sin, but made alive in God. A people enslaved to sin's desires, who now have been set free. Those who were condemned before God, who are now forgiven by our Creator. And those who lived by the desires of the flesh, who are now seated in the heavenly places. That's our calling, is to live day by day. 
for that identity in Christ of who we are as believers. The only unshakable, unalterable, unassailable identity that you possess is what you have in Christ. Everything else can go away in a heartbeat. Who you are in Christ is what matters for eternity because everyone else can prove untrustworthy, unreliable, fallible. Everything and everyone else can be lost or stolen or destroyed. Christ cannot. Who I am in Christ is based on his work, his declaration, and his promises. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have saved a people as your very own. And for those here who are trusting in you as Savior, we, we have been lifting up our voices. We have been listening to testimonies. We have been meditating on your word this morning because we want to express back to you our gratitude for your saving, remarkable work. Father God, thank you for being rich in mercy and great in love and extending to people your kindness, undeserving, by grace, saving sinners who are under your wrath. Thank you that in your clear vocabulary here in Scripture, this is a finished work. There's no sense of whether or not this is possible, but this is true. This is what you say. This is what you have done for the redeemed that we experience resurrection life now. Forgive us, Father, we pray for how easily we forget these things, how often we, we set aside this identity in Christ and try to replace it with temporary things for our joy and our satisfaction and our peace. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have made us different, unique individuals. Thanks for the gifts and talents that you have given to, to the brothers and sisters here. But Lord, thank you above all of that, that if any of that is gone or taken away, that we can cling to Christ, that our hope is found in him. Lord, help us this week to, to live in that identity. Help us to, to submit all of who we are to who we are in Christ and to rejoice now as we sing with great joy at your finished work on the cross of Christ and his resurrection and your work in saving us, forgiving us, freeing us, and raising us up with Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you will, let's go to 